your seats. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. It's confusing in the summer because some weeks we have children's worship and some we don't. We're not today. So, uh, isn't that awesome? So, we're all together. The, the church looks like the church. That's good. Um, so, in our lectionary project that we're doing uh, this year, uh, the text that I chose, I don't know, three or four weeks ago that we would... I would preach from today is Psalm 49, and the text that's in the bulletin is Psalm 49, uh, 1 through 15, and that's what we'll put on the screen, and that's what I'm going to preach about. Now, the interesting thing about this text is that uh, in the lectionary, the text actually ends, I think, at verse 12 or verse 13, and uh, um, which I, uh, as, I, as you'll see, is a pretty bleak uh, assessment, especially if you end there. Um, but I think it's better to end at verse 15 because it picks up a theme that uh, the psalm writer um, mentions earlier in the psalm. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So, but uh, before we do that, let me just address something real quickly f- for you. So uh, we're going to talk about a spiritual discipline today, and we're going to put that in the context of our kind of our present situation as as a people, as uh, as a church, uh, in the culture in which we live, and um, typically, when you hear people in uh, uh, in our circles talk about spiritual disciplines, you think about Bible reading or prayer or fellowship or those things. That those are the things that we practice. Those are the things that we do as means of grace. Uh, that kind of God uses by his spirit to shape us over time, change us, transform us, encourage us, rebuke us, convict us, comfort us, right? So that, that's, and that's something that we're all familiar with. Now, there is a spiritual discipline that we, uh, uh, that we tend to ignore and that we're uh, not very good at. It's, uh, and it, uh, it, like many spiritual disciplines that you don't practice for a while, it's like not exercising, not going to the gym for, uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, and then going and exercising, and your muscles don't remember how to do it, and then the next day you can't get out of bed, right? So you're so you're so sore and 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 unused to that, and that is the spiritual discipline of lament. Now, lament uh, is one of those things that, uh, uh, particularly in our particular culture and our particular way. Uh, I, I think, of, of living and dealing in the world is something that we don't like to do. And I've said this many times before, and that is, you know, I think, I think we know what to do with people who are angry. We know what to do with our own anger. In fact, you know, if I had to choose between being sad or mad, I would choose being mad because for many of us, at least the way we're wired, anger, at least initially, feels like a rush, feels like life, but sadness feels like death and feels... Uh, very difficult, uh, and we don't know what to do often with ourselves when we're sad or with other, uh, other friends, other folks that are in our orbit when, when they're sad. Um, there's much for us today as we gather as the people of God to be sad about. And that's not contrary to the gospel. And it's not contrary to the promise of God. In fact, uh, one of the reasons why uh, the gospel, the blood of Jesus Christ, the work that he has done on our behalf, 
is not esteemed or valued as highly as we should is because we don't see it truly in the light of the power of death that holds this world uh, under its, uh, well, under its thumb. So the psalm writer is getting at that in this, in this text today. We got at it a little bit in the, the reading from uh, Ecclesiastes earlier, uh, earlier in the, in the service. So I think that's, that's a good place uh, for us to kind of begin to, to unpack uh, a little bit about what God has to say to us uh, today. So before I read the text, let me pray. And then we'll, we'll look at Psalm 49. Lord, we, we come to you today as people who, uh, well, uh, you know, you see, you understand that we live, uh, uh, this world is under, uh, in many ways, the power of death. And um, I pray that you would uh, help us today. There, there are plenty of people here today who are sad, who are broken, uh, who are uh, undone. Uh, there are folks here today who are just mystified uh, by uh, their lives and uh, by the world in which we live. And then uh, there are folks here today who are uh, content and happy and, um, uh, you know, just, uh, well, uh, at least in many ways doing just fine. And so I pray that you would help us uh, today as we think through this text, as we think through uh, what you have for us to exercise this gift uh, and this discipline of um, holding on to hope in the midst of uh, hard questions and uh, challenging times. So we ask this today in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Psalm 49, verses 1 uh, through 15. This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, The fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol, and that word Sheol there refers to the, the place of the dead, the, the residing spot of, of those who are, who are dead. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. So if you know anything about the Bible, you know anything about Psalms at all, typically what a Psalm is or what we're most familiar with with Psalms, and AJ, you can go ahead and put my notes up, but is that a Psalm is 
a, a, a poem or a song that we sing or we say to God or we sing or say about God, right? That it's that it's very God centered. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, right? Or or uh, uh, praise the Lord, right? Those are those are things that are uh, the, the way we typically think about it. This psalm is very different. In fact, in many ways, it's 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 like a proverb more than it is a psalm because uh, the the writer here is actually writing to us. Right. He's writing to people. He says, he says, hear this, all peoples, give ear, all inhabitants of the world. Right. So he is uh, based on his observation of the world, based on his understanding of who God is, based on what his life experience is like uh, lived under uh, this God. He's going to address uh, uh, this question. He's going to he's going to talk to us about how to make make sense uh, uh, of the world. And the question that he wants to ask is, why should I fear when trouble comes, when my enemies surround me? Right. Now, I, I want to say something about that to, to begin with, because one of the things that happens to us very often is uh, and, and there are many of us who, who struggle with this, is that we kind of come at this from the standpoint of, well, I, you know, as a as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a follower of Christ, uh, you know, I, I'm not supposed to be afraid of anything. And, you know, I'm not I, I you know, I, I just bank on the fact that God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. And so there's nothing really in, in the world that I should be afraid of. And yet what the psalmist is getting at here is, you know, there are there there are times there are places there are things uh, that come at us that that tempt us, that try us. Uh, that are terrible and fearful things. And, and when that happens, how do you make sense of that? What, what, what are you supposed to do? What is it that a, a someone who is a, a follower of Christ, someone who has entrusted himself uh, to Christ, what are you supposed to do with that? Because there's plenty of fearful things in the world. There's plenty of fearful things in the heart, in our hearts, right? And so he, the question is, why should I fear uh, when troubles come? And when my enemies surround me. So the psalm writer takes that question and then he goes immediately as he talks about enemies. And, you know, I, I, you may think that's too strong a word, but I know if I were to ask you today, uh, do you have any enemies? You could think of some. Uh, some that are really your enemies and some that are not your enemies, but I'm sure you, you can identify a few of those, right? Um, so, so the truth, the, the truth is here, as he looks at that, he begins to address right off the bat, well, you know, the rich, the successful, the wise, uh, uh, one of the things that helps them answer this question, and one of the reasons why they oppress, right, uh, is that, uh, any one of us who puts our trust, trust and hope in material things ends up in the same place as all living things, in death. And that's what that's what he's he's getting at here. Right. So he cites, you know, I have these enemies, uh, but then I look around me and I see those who line up against me, who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. Right. Now, here's the here's the, the issue with that. For many of us, when we hear that about wealth or we hear that about uh, this sort of thing, we think, well, um, well, I'm not really rich and that doesn't that doesn't really apply to me. But but hear me in this, that the, the issue here is not the size of your bank account or your IRA or your 401k. The issue here is your trust, 
right? That, that kind of the way we approach life and one of the ways that we deal with the sadness of life, one of the ways we deal about the frightful things in our lives is that we believe and that we kind of give ourselves to the fact that if we can accumulate enough material things, if we accumulate enough of those things, we can kind of insulate ourselves against uh, the difficulty that, that, that we live in. And we can, we can tell ourselves, we can arrive at the, uh, the conclusion that Really and truly, yes, we know that someday we will die. And yes, we know that someday out there that, that, that death is lurking for us. But if I accumulate enough stuff, if I accumulate enough money, then what I can do is I can control that in the sense that when that day comes, I will be comfortable in my bed, surrounded by all the people who love me. And kind of at a time of my own choosing, that's when that will happen to me. Right? So, so what happens to us is, and, and let me just say something right here. If you're visiting with us today, this is really heavy. Typically, on another Sunday you come here, I love jokes, and I love to laugh, and I love the irony of the world in which we we live. Uh, uh, but but today, uh, given the text, and uh, given the circumstances that I see uh, that are you know weighing upon us, and the reality. Uh, that's broken in, I think, this week for many of us that the world in which we live is too much under the power of death. Uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's a good Sunday for us to stop and, and ask some honest and hard questions about, uh, about how to, to make sense of this and how, how to live faithfully in this world, right? So, so the fact is, for many of us, you know, we think that if we can accumulate these things, we can kind of insulate ourselves against uh, what's coming our way, right? Uh, and that we ultimately end up uh, kind of putting our hope and our trust in those things uh, which are notoriously weak and notoriously here one day and gone the next, right? And so, so the fact is that is that's a temptation that that all of us. Uh, and and what what we may say is, why should I fear when trouble comes, when my enemies surround me? Well, one of the ways I'm going to deal with that is I'm going to accumulate enough stuff. And I'm going to accumulate enough money, enough resources so that those things don't really don't really bother me. Right. But what the psalm writer says is no matter how smart you are, no matter how dumb you are, no matter how rich you are, no matter how poor you are, no matter how successful you are or unsuccessful you are, that you're going to end up in the same place as all living things uh, in, in death. Right. And so what he says here is, is that the pride of those who rely on their resources will be shown for what it is. All of us both successful and unsuccessful, next slide please, uh, AJ, uh, end up in the grave. Now, now one of the things, uh, one of the things that I think is, is profound about that is, you know, um, how, do, how, do we make, how do we make sense of that? Now, one of the things that I want to be clear about in the psalm, when the psalm talks about Sheol and talks about the grave and that sort of thing, one of the things that you need to hear about this and see about this is that what they're talking about, what the psalm writer is talking about here, is not such that, well, you live this life, you do the best you can, and then when you're done, you die. And we know that that's, that's going to happen. The, the psalm writer here, and indeed the whole of the scripture, has a bigger view of death. In fact, you know, in some ways here, death is personified, right? He says, death shall be their shepherd. There, there's a, the, the fact is that when our first parents disobeyed God, God said that they would die. 
But we know they didn't fall down dead there in the Garden of Eden when it happened. But the fact is, death passed over this whole planet, this whole universe. And every single thing, every part of creation, every creature is under the effect of death. Whether you like it or not, whether whether you want to try to deny it or not, whether you want to try to insulate yourself against it or not, it's true. And I want to give you two ways that are kind of shocking to me, anyway, when this this comes home uh, comes home to us. If if you've ever been to our house, uh, one of the things uh, about our house is uh, that's uh, our glory and our shame is is that we have giant trees in our yard. I mean, really big trees. Uh, and uh, uh, I love our trees. Uh, they make a mess, but I love our trees. They are, uh, uh, they're awesome. And a couple of years ago, I mean, we have, we have trees that are this big around. Now you look at that tree that's that big, that tall, and you look at it and you think, look at that. What a giant, powerful, old, strong thing. What stuns me about that is, is those trees die. How can something like that die? And then a couple of years ago, I was, I was talking about that about to, with some of the guys on staff, and, and they reminded me, you know, everything on the planet that's alive has a lifespan. So we had this giant tree in our backyard that grew up actually in the middle of our deck and it had gotten so big I had to cut the deck out from around it. I mean, it was a massive tree. It saved our our house during Hurricane Isabel, literally, because it was big enough to stop all the other trees from falling on our house. I love that tree. (laughs) That, That tree reminded me, you know, I would look at that tree and again, this is weird, forgive me, but I would look at that tree and I would think that tree reminds me of Jesus. Except it really wasn't like Jesus because one day I had some dead trees in the yard and I had a guy come to cut those dead trees down. And he looked at that tree. He looked fine to me and he said, that tree's dying. You know, it's not. It looks fine. You know, and I'm certain that everyone out there is trying to steal from me. And so I, I, I don't really, uh, I don't really know what to, what to make of that, but I'm like, what, what's the deal here? And, he says, yeah, that tree's dying. You need to cut it down. So, you know, I'm thinking, well, if I don't cut this tree down and it falls on the house, I'll feel really bad and can't tolerate that. So, so let's cut the tree down. So he cuts the tree down, and I go out there that, after he cut the tree down. I looked at the stump, and in the middle of that tree, all the way up to the top, there's a hole that big. Death was having its effect on that big, powerful tree. It was dying. And I didn't even know it. The power of death is like that. I was horrified last night uh, as I watched the news to hear about the shooting in El Paso. And one of the things that always stuns me, you know, it's, it's uh, when, my, when my parents died in their late to mid 80s, it's horrible, it's terrible but you kind of understand that in some way. And what I heard on the news was that the victims of the shooting in El Paso ranged in age from two to their late 80s. That's a pretty comprehensive thing there. And, and, and when, it, when a two-year-old dies, I think it's as God shouting at us in many ways to say, don't make your peace 
Don't insulate yourself. Don't entrust yourself to these other things to deal with the power of death and to answer the question, why should I be afraid, right? So so the fact is, you know, there there are many ways that we might uh, tend to answer this question. If death comes to all of us, if we all die, so it it maybe it's simply a matter of just making the best of it until then. That what I'm going to do in my life is make myself as comfortable as I can be knowing that this, this, this is going to happen. But the problem with that is by doing that, we entrust ourselves for our comfort and our security in something that ultimately uh, leads us further into death, right? Or we may comfort ourselves with this, and this is my favorite one. You know, I may be poor and oppressed, but my enemies will end up in the same place as me, right? So in other words, you know... Uh, that's okay that, that, that I comfort myself with the knowledge that someday uh, these people who are these forces, these things who have impre- oppressed me, that they'll end up dead. And that I hope I live long enough to see that, right? And so, so there's a weird kind of uh, comfort uh, that we get from that. That is not what the psalm writer wants us to see here. What he wants us to get is something else. So what is the answer to this? Next slide. Uh, um, and let me just say here that, again, for many of you, for most of us in this congregation today, this seems really out of touch with your life. Because the truth is, for most of us, we're comfortable. You know, um, we had a, we had a couple of power surges last night uh, in the neighborhood and, uh, uh, you know, as terrible as that was. I mean, the worst thing that I thought would happen is, you know, and I was devastated by it was I might have to go a night without air conditioning. Right. So uh, so most of us, we have relative comfort. We don't really understand oppression. We don't really uh, understand, you know, the the just how uh, broken uh, the world really is because we we're pretty good, we're pretty competent, and we're pretty well situated to insulate ourselves against that. Now, there, there are folks in here today who are from other countries and other places in the world uh, who've, who've, who have experienced this in, in profound ways that uh, many of us, we probably, you know, we, we, that could be very instructive for us, right? So we think that, you know, there's rel- we, we spend our lives in relative comfort, but I want you to think a little bit about the country you live in today in, in 2019. And I want this uh, to, to uh, you know, just bear with me for a second as we consider this. So there's a new category in the way in which we think about uh, death in America and a cause of death now. There's, a, there's this new category called deaths of despair. It used to be that in America we were progressing such that you know, uh, every every year a, uh, when kids were born, the possibility of them living to an old age got greater and greater and further and further out so that, you know, the lifespan was actually expanding. For people between 20 and 45 now, for the last 10 or 15 years, that's actually been shrinking. And as a result of that, the lifespan of the average person in America is 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 getting shorter. And the reason for that is people, younger people, are dying deaths of despair, drug addiction, suicide, alcoholism. 
Now, you hear that and you think, oh, you know, that's that's a big sociological problem. Well, I, want to, I want to help you understand something about that. So a statistic I came across this week, in six years, 780 million painkillers were sold in West Virginia. Somebody came up to me and told me between services, it's closer to a million in six years. Uh, and the population of West Virginia is approximately two million. Now, you may think, go get those doctors and those insurance companies, and that's certainly viable. But we need to ask the question, why does a state with a population, why why did those two million people need a million painkillers to make it in the world? Right? So many uh, of us are terrified of the police, and so our biggest fear would be to see a blue light in our rearview mirror behind our car. But also, uh, in many places in our country, there are neighborhoods and streets where the police are terrified to go, and rightly so. Right? In the last 24 hours, as Kevin already prayed, we've seen mass shootings. But maybe you haven't followed the local news, but I, I think since Wednesday or Thursday, there's been like, I think nine or ten shootings uh, in in the city city of Richmond, right? Next slide. Um, I love capitalism, and I, and I love that you can make money here. Uh, and I'm actually not upset that there are people in our country who can make billions, but it is a thing to think about that you can make a billion dollars in America. And there are cities in America where you can't get drinkable water. And then in a typical year in our country, the lives of about 650,000 of our citizens are ended before they really begin. Right? So, so how are you supposed to think about this, right? And, and what is it, how do I make sense of that when all the data that comes to me is so negative that, and so challenging that the power of death is so alive and at work in the world that my tendency in, the, in that is to just anesthetize myself against that just to get through it, right? So how is it that the gospel has anything to say about this? How is it that the, the reality of, of what is uh, what we talk about every week and what the scripture reveals to us, how does that come to bear? And this kind of situation. Well, there is another side of this picture and the psalm writer gets to it. And that's this, that the deepest truth about the universe is that it is animated by love and that it is held together, as we read earlier in the service and and that passage in Colossians, and made to turn, made to move, that the force in the world that is actually moving it is the love of God. Now, you may hear that and think, wait a minute, how can you have the temerity, the guts to talk about the love of God when you just told us how terrible the world is? What difference does it make? Well, let's look at that. Next slide, please, AJ. So what holds all of this together and what keeps the the, the only way that we can have any real hope, any solid ground to rest our souls and our hearts in and to answer the question, why shouldn't I be afraid, is this, that what holds all of this together is a being who is personal and perfect love. 
It's not just that there's a force of love out there that we kind of massage up or, or will up, but actually the creator of the universe and the redeemer, the ransomer of the universe is Father, Son, Holy Spirit who are active in seeing. It's not just that God loves the world and he stands apart from it and says, gee, I wish I could fix it. Or, gee, let me just cry with you. Let me, let me, let me just relate to you. Those, those things are true. It, it breaks the heart of God, but it also makes him so indignant that the world is so broken that he does something about it himself. And that's what the psalm writer wants us, wants us to see this. That's the theme of ransom. Right. What does he say here? Right. That the ransom of their life is costly and truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. And then verse 15. But God will ransom my soul from the power of death for he will receive me. Right. The New Testament echoes this over and over and over again. Right. This is the evidence that we have that there is a personal being who loves us in this world. Jesus said of himself, the son of man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Next slide. Uh, Peter tells us that you personally, you, Steve Shelby, you and all your hardness and your coldness and your lust and your ugliness and your covetousness and your, your, all of those things that are true of you, you were ransomed. You. It's not just that God loves in a general way. He loves in a specific way. He loves this world, but he loves you. And he ransoms the world and he ransoms you and me. And he does it not with perishable things such as silver and gold, the things that we value, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. God does something about it at cost to himself. He dies. He bleeds. He enters into this world does something that we could never do, experiences the fullness of, of, of the power of death and even submits himself for a period of time under the power of death to overcome it, right? We've been ransomed. We Occasionally we sing that great hymn, the, uh, uh, the church's one foundation, that with his own blood he bought her and for her life he died, Right? Jesus is the price of our ransom and redemption. Don't forget that. And so that whenever we look at the world and we we ask this question, why shouldn't I be afraid? Or we're tempted to kind of anesthetize ourselves against the pain and the suffering rather than to enter into the, the truest sense of lament. What we do there is we recognize that the power of death still holds great sway in the world. But the underlying force, the thing that holds this world together and the hope of the world is the work of Jesus Christ in that he has paid the ransom for us. God ransoms our soul from the power of death and not just physical death, but with himself. So God is at work. I have, I have died with Christ. I have risen with Christ. The work that he did in paying my ransom is at work in me and in the church right now, right? It's not something that you have to wait, that you, that, that you have to wait until, till you get, uh, uh, get done with this life before you experience that. That's at work in us now. It's not full. It's not complete. But the effect of what Jesus Christ did for us is at work in us even now. Hear now these words of institution, uh, from the, uh, from chapter Luke for the Lord's Supper. 
Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant and my blood, which is poured out for you. And I assign to you, as my father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Let's use this confession uh, of sin uh, responsively. Uh, Would you confess your sin with me? Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself. And he said. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? Believer, hear the good news. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So the scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now ministering in his name. And he gave it to his disciples. Uh, Almost 26 years ago, uh, when we uh, started uh, West End, one of the things uh, that I determined uh, to do is uh, use exactly uh, the same benediction every service. And many of you are aware of that. Many of you, uh, some of you have heard it, uh, I don't know, almost 26 years, 52, 53 Sundays a year. That's that's a lot, right? Uh, And that's a good thing. Uh, and I made the decision to do that for, for a couple of reasons. One is, uh, uh, obviously, I think repetition is a great teacher. 
But I, uh, I know for many of you that you walk in here and you are so weighted down and so sad and so broken that it is hard for you to process. It is hard for you to remember any of the things that we've prayed or read here this morning. So the last thing I want you to hear is this, that there is a God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that the Father loves you, that the grace of Jesus is with you, and that you have the peace of the Holy Spirit. That love and grace and peace generated by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is operative and alive in you and in the world. And that is the truth. I also want you to hear that as you walk out of here, because the temptation will be great to believe that our hope, that our purpose, and that our lives are actually bound up in something else or some other set of things that have some some relative value, right? But what we do when we come together, as the scriptures tell us, when we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We are saying we have been ransomed, that I died with Jesus, that he died with me, that I belong to him, and that in the midst of my own brokenness and sadness and my own sinfulness and my own rebellion, in light of the, 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 the power of death in the world, God gets the last word. And the last word is that he loves us, that there's grace for our sin in Jesus Christ, and that the Holy Spirit applies that to us in such a way that I can find and experience and live in even as I struggle in a world often uh, in the power of death with peace. That's our hope. That's really our only hope, but it is a sure hope. If you've come to that place in your spiritual life where you have no other hope, no other place to turn except uh, to this Jesus who died for you, who rose again for you, who is coming again for you, you proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere, he welcomes you. He uh, encourages you to come and to lay hold of this bread and this cup to proclaim the forgiveness of sins and to recognize uh, uh, that, uh, that death does not get the final word in this world, but Jesus does. As the um, uh, elders and deacons come down front uh, to assist me, let me remind you the outer ring is wine, uh, all of the inner rings is grape juice, and all the bread uh, is bread that is gluten-free.